0: This is Dr. Hal Schurz from the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I want to thank you for your support. Our show is brought to you by the Doctor's Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Our website is number 4 pcfoundationorg We need you to support our organization so that we can continue to bring you this show and the information that you need so that you can support the health care of you and your family. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you with the information that doctors are talking about amongst themselves in Doctor's Lounges all across the country. The issues that we bring to you will make you better informed consumers of health care so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Our website can be found at www.d4pcfoundation.org. That's D, the number, 4pcfoundation.org. Please check us out. If you are new to this show, go to that website and help be a part of sponsoring this show and keeping it going. If you're a regular listener, we need your help if you've not done so before. Or if you're a regular listener, just $10 a month on a recurring basis will keep this show going and allow us to do the work that we do for you every day in trying to protect your health care. If you can't tell by my voice, I'm a little bit under the weather today, and I'm going to try to power through this show. Ironically, this show is entitled, Don't Get Sick in America Today, and I'll get into that in just a minute, but first, today is August 24th, it's my wife's birthday, and um, it is the day after the beginning of the kickoff of the uh, 2024 election season with the debates in the Republican Party last night. It was a very interesting debate. Not one word was uttered on healthcare, which is very interesting because it is still a... A problem in this country. It's still a very important issue for people. It doesn't become important until it is important. Until you get sick, and until you need a doctor, until you have a medical problem, then all of a sudden, it's a major issue. And we should be trying to fix this problem before it gets to that point. Before you're a victim of what is a failing healthcare system in the United States. I have maintained for ever that the US healthcare system is the best one in the world and I still believe that the capability is there but the system itself is broken the system is um It has been taken advantage of by by people who have enriched themselves at the expense of patients, and I want to lay out a couple of stories for you that illustrate why you do not want to get sick in this country in 2023. Over the weekend, I watched... 60 Minutes, and I know that many of you are thinking, well, what is a conservative guy like Schurz watching 60 Minutes for? Well, I like to watch the show. I don't agree with their positions on most subjects, but I find what they have to say sometimes quite entertaining, informative. I listen to what the people who are presenting it who are clearly on the other side have to say and it gives me some perspective and one of the featured uh, issues um, one of the featured uh, uh, stories that they discussed on Sunday was one that really bothered me quite a bit and it was about the abysmal state of maternal health care in the United States, and the fact that the U.S. is ranked low in the world in maternal deaths. And I'm going to cough during this show and clear my throat, and I apologize to you. Um, This was a very troubling story, and... As opposed to um, fetal deaths, which, according to the World Health Organization, the U.S. ranks very badly in the world, and and a fact that I can refute because (coughs) I know that how the data is reported skews this data, and makes us look far worse than we truly are because all deaths before 40 weeks in fetuses is considered a fetal death no matter how early it could be 24 weeks it could be 26 weeks so the the numbers are not what the numbers are with maternal deaths however this is a different story entirely and one that requires some serious consideration and and introspection. And I had a conversation with my wife about this and explained to her my take on this story. And she was at odds with me a bit. She's a libertarian, um, and uh, she believed that these numbers were accurate, and that the issues that were being brought out in this story were accurate as well and and needed to be considered. And what the message in this story was, what the emphasis was, is that the majority of maternal deaths occur in the black and the brown communities, or in rural America with poor white People. <clears throat> and the story went on to explain the poor availability, the lack of availability of obstetric care in these communities, and that there was a critical shortage of doctors in these populations. And they tried to make the case. That were not for nurse midwives or doulas a new term that I never knew about up until a couple of years ago a person who helps see a a a mother a pregnant mother through her pregnancy all through delivery as opposed to a nurse midwife which just delivers the baby they were making the case that doulas saved lives and if not for these individuals the maternal death rate in this country would be even higher than it was the implication that I took away from this was that doctors are failing patients and that was not what my wife took from this but I think that Nonetheless, if I took from this story, took away from it that they're trying to say that doctors are failing patients, then there must be others who feel this way as well, watching that story. I believed this was a very one-sided presentation, and it failed to explain why maternal deaths may have risen so dramatically over the last decade or two. So, I think that if you wanted to be fair and balanced about a story like this, you need to get to the root co- cause. Democrats love getting to the root cause, right? The root cause of illegal immigration, the root cause of poverty. Well. I think we need to get to the root cause of why maternal deaths have gone up. So let's start with reimbursement for those services. Maternal services have always been undervalued by insurance companies, and especially by Medicaid, which pays next to nothing for maternal care, which is what so many people in these at-risk populations that the CBS story focused on are covered by. They're covered by Medicaid. If you take on a pregnant woman for her maternal care, you are committing yourself to seven to eight months of treatment and sometimes beyond and it's for a fixed amount of money regardless of the complexity of the pregnancy regardless of the number of sonograms which are now part and parcel part of maternal care regardless of the complexity of the delivery there's a fixed amount of money and when that number hits a critically low value, then people who are doing it have to ask themselves, is this really worth it? These rates have not increased over time, but they've been dramatically reduced. If you just look at doctors who are in private practice, our overhead has skyrocketed. Everything is up. Salaries are up. Rents are up. The materials that we need to run our office has gone up. If you go to the supermarket, you know how much everything has gone up. Well, in the medical world, that number has been going up for far longer than it has for you shopping at the grocery store. When the amount of money that you receive can't cover your overhead... You have to take a critical look at whether or not what you're doing makes sense. Albert Einstein, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. There's no way that obstetricians could stay in business when they're receiving less and less money. There's a mismatch between expenses and reimbursements, and it's driven so many OBGYNs out of the field. They continue to be doctors, but they decide to practice gynecology and not deliver babies. And this, my friends, is one of the biggest reasons why there is a OB shortage in this country. The big elephant in the room though is medical liability. The fact that obstetricians are one of the specialties with the greatest legal liability has led to a crisis in obstetrics. Let me give you some some numbers. And I don't want to bore anybody with numbers because I've got a whole page, a whole file of claims and payouts and how obstetricians are, are at risk and being targeted by predatory lawyers. But let me give you just a, a ballpark figure so you know what I'm talking about. A, a, a family doctor. Pays $10,000 a year in malpractice premiums. A psychiatrist pays $10,000 in malpractice premiums. A um, non invasive cardiologist pays $14,000 in malpractice premiums. The average malpractice premium in the state of Georgia in 2023 for an obstetrician is $65,000 a year. It can be as high as $74,000 a year. Much of what determines how much an obstetrician has to pay for malpractice premiums depends on the state, the laws in the state, whether or not they are... Friendly to plaintiffs people who are suing or whether they protect the medical system and the doctors um, in California where they have put a cap on pain and suffering the premiums on obstetricians medical malpractice is actually $50,000 which is lower than it is in Georgia but If you look at how much malpractice coverage is in Long Island, New York, it's $215,000 a year. Think about that, $215,000 a year. In order to pay $215,000 medical premiums, you have to generate $430,000 in revenue to be able to just pay your malpractice premium. Why do I say that? Because roughly most practices operate at about 50% overhead in, in this country. Some more, some substantially more, some less if they're very good at cutting corners and managing money. But to be able to generate $430,000 in revenue just to pay your malpractice premiums, if you're an obstetrician in Long Island, New York, you're going to think twice about whether or not it pays to continue to deliver babies and just go ahead and do gynecology. And these malpractice premiums vary state to state. In Dade County, Florida, the Miami area, it's one hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year. In Connecticut, it's one hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year. So it really depends on the on where you are in the United States. Surgical specialties pay higher premiums. Um, in Georgia where I said the average O B premium was sixty five thousand dollars, an orthopedic surgeon who is doing regular orthopedics and not sports medicine pays thirty four thousand dollars a year, which is still exorbitant amount of money. A general surgeon pays thirty seven thousand dollars a year. So malpractice premiums are in large part driving what is happening with doctors fleeing OB around the country. Trial lawyers have made a lucrative business going after doctors who deliver quote bad babies. What do I mean by a bad baby? Well, you have baby who may have a, a brain problem, brain bleed in utero. When the baby is still in the womb, there's a bleed into the baby's brain. There may be a, a problem where the baby has a developmental abnormality, may have cerebral palsy, may have some other problem. This is a baby that's going to need chronic, lifelong medical attention. These are what are in the slang vernacular known as bad babies. Unscrupulous trial attorneys, trial lawyers, ambulance chasers prey on families who deliver these kinds of babies, these babies with these horrible problems. They're like bottom feeders in hospitals (coughs) trying to um, convince parents who have the unfortunate luck, excuse me, of delivering a baby with a problem like this and try to convince these families that somebody is at fault for this that this should not have happened that the only logical person who has liability here is the obstetrician and this is what has happened um I'll digress and remind everybody about John Edwards the former um a senator from North Carolina, who was a former um, pre- uh, presidential candidate, who made a fortune. He made his fortune as a plaintiff attorney, going after doctors who delivered these bad babies. Now, I'm not saying that doctors are always. Free of liability, and there's not a possibility that something that happened in the delivery could have led to a bad outcome. They're trying to, these, these trial attorneys try to make that case. They also try to make the case that a problem that was missed in utero resulted in one of these problems. Well, there's nothing you can do in utero when there's a problem like this. This is not a fault of a doctor. This is a fault of God and or maybe the fault of a patient for not taking better care of themselves during pregnancy. Nonetheless, you get these unscrupulous ambulance chasers who've made an industry of preying on families and convincing them that the doctor was the reason for this baby. These lawyers make a fortune doing this, an absolute king's ransom. The families do receive money, but often far less than the attorneys receive for taking on these cases without any liability on the part of the parent who is engaged the lawyer they don't have to put up any money the contract reads that the lawyer will get their fee if they collect so they go after doctors now imagine going to trial with someone who is really skillful at spinning a tale of woe to a ju- to a jury that are essentially ignorant about medical facts and they're not really interested in what the reality is or what the facts are. What they see is a baby with horrible problem and the lawyer makes a compelling case why the the doctor messed up, why this baby is going to require a lifetime of care and it's going to be very expensive. And the, the doctors are petrified about going to trial with a baby like this. So, the, so these lawyers settle these cases. They settle them for what the limits are on doctor's malpractice coverage. It could very often be $3 million dollars which is a lot of money, and it doesn't mean that it comes from the insurance companies. It comes from the malpractice premiums of the doctors, which continue to go up. Sometimes it comes after them personally. And so they are, the the lawyers, these trial lawyers, are running doctors, running obstetricians specifically out of the field, So all of this has resulted in fewer OBGYNs being trained in the U.S. There's a critical doctor shortage. This has left rural communities with no OB care for hundreds of miles and it's left inner city communities with no obstetricians (coughs) because number one, there are fewer of them. And number two, no one is accepting Medicaid. So this leaves no alternative except for nurse midwives or doulas as the only resource for pregnant moms. What the CBS story failed to report is whether the increase in mortality in pregnant women is the result of fewer doctors as they implied or is it because of less experienced care being given to these women with more complex problems problems that these people these doulas and midwives were unprepared to take care of when we're talking about routine care these physician substitutes, the nurse midwives, the doulas, may be fine. They may be better in some cases, but not for complex issues. And that may be what's accounting for the increase in maternal mortality. 60 Minutes tried to make the case that there needs to be equity in health care. What does that really mean? It means Medicaid for all. As you have heard me say, doctors aren't getting paid enough to be able to see patients who have Medicaid. So that's not the solution. The solution is to fix the broken medical-legal situation that has resulted in doctors being unable to afford malpractice premiums to continue to work in that field. And when you do that, and you increase the reimbursement for these doctors so that they can pay their bills, and they wanna come to work and see patients in inner city facilities or in rural America, then you will solve this problem. More people will go into OB, more obstetricians will stay in OB, if this was the case. And I can tell you personally, I know of two very, very good friends of mine who gave up OB years ago just for this reason. And they were very good at it. And they gave it up and practice GYN and have done so for years because of the liability issue and because of the reimbursement issue. And we are coming up on a hard break, which I really desperately need right now. So stay with us, and we'll be back in the second half of Why You Should Not Get Sick in America. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients. Dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org that's www.docs the number4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us Thank you You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We are back in the doctor's lounge. Thank you for being with me today. I'm apologizing once again for sounding a little bit hoarse, a little bit under the weather, which I am, but I will power through and get to the second half of the show to make the case why it's a bad idea to get sick in the US in 2023. So I'm gonna change gears a bit and tell you another story. A friend shared with me an experience that they had recently at a local hospital. One of their family members had an emergency situation and went to the emergency room. And they needed to be admitted to the hospital but they sat in the emergency room on a gurney in the hallway until the following day. And this was because there were no beds available. And this is not an isolated incident. It's one that I hear on a regular basis. Problems associated with hospitals in this country. Now, hospitals have deteriorated over the past 20 years. Hospital care has become something far worse than it used to be, not better. Everyone has a story pertaining to the hospital, and I mean everyone. There are very few people who go into the hospital and come back with a... um, a, a positive story that, um, about their experience in the hospital. The, I have my own story to share with you. Last year I went to the hospital and I visited my mother in New York where she was in a hospital bed. In a hospital that once was a fantastic hospital, when I was a young college student, I volunteered at this hospital, and I was just mesmerized. I was, I was, I, I was really just enthralled with being there. I thought that the the whole experience was fantastic. Forty, forty five, fifty years later. I guess fifty years later I, I couldn't have been more disappointed in this same hospital, how it has deteriorated, how it went from a very beautiful, well put together hospital in in New York City to an inner city facility. I went there to visit my mom, and I was certain that she was not going to make it out of the hospital alive. I think it was a miracle that she did, in in large part because of the hospital experience. When I was with her on this Saturday um, afternoon, I spent nine hours with her at her bedside. And I sat in her room, and not a single nurse, not one, came in to see her. During the time that I was there, no one checked on her, no one got her out of bed, no one turned her, no one got, gave her got, came to get her vital signs. I hear so many people complaining about their experiences in hospitals, wrong medications, nursing shortages with delay in care, and ridiculously overinflated hospital charges. How did this happen? you got to ask yourself, how could the hospitals have fallen so far? Well, there are always multiple factors for every story, just like the one I shared with you in the first half hour. The single most significant factor has to do with who runs the hospitals. At one time, doctors ran hospitals. And these were places where doctors would specifically bring their patients who were seriously ill to receive more intensive care (coughs) than they could receive at home. As healthcare became more complicated, doctors brought in business people to help Run the physical plant, and doctors and hospital administrators worked collaboratively to make sure that institutions ran efficiently and that the patients continued to receive exceptional care under the the um, the the uh, oversight of the doctors. If resources were needed for patient care, there was collaboration to allocate the resources that the hospital had according to need, according to available funds, and according to um, whether or not it was an urgent problem or it it could wait. But healthcare continued to become more complicated. And hospitals became more difficult to run. And more administrators needed to be added in order to keep the hospital going. And they kept getting added and added. And as that occurred, the doctor's role in running the hospital was diminished until all the responsibility of running the hospital was turned over to the administrators. And this changing of the guard marked the beginning of the death spiral of healthcare administered in hospitals. Now, whenever you build a bureaucracy, it gets bigger and bigger and more powerful, and it just keeps feeding itself. I don't have to tell this audience about that because you are tuned into this from the aspect of our federal government. Well, administrators do what all bureaucrats do when the system becomes big. They increase it. They continue to grow it. And the bigger the bureaucracy, the more secure their positions are. And these administrators (coughs) have enriched themselves in the process they pay themselves obscene amounts of money, justifying it as something that was par for the course among C-suite executives in any big business. If you look at the Wall Street Journal and look at the compensation for CEOs for major corporations, the numbers are absolutely staggering. I'm not sure. In fact, I am sure. These these staggering Salaries are not justifiable, but nonetheless, that's what they get. And the CEOs of these hospitals, which have become bigger and bigger, have reflected that, that mindset. Now, let me give you just a, an idea, okay, because we're, we're talking about healthcare, we're not talking about Home Depot, or UPS, or Coca-Cola. We're talking about a hospital, (coughs) where doctors (coughs) typically average, depending on specialty, $400,000 a year in salary, maybe $500,000 a year if they're lucky, or the very highest earners, the sports medicine doctors or the neurosurgeons. They may make close to a million dollars, but they generate the, they generate the money. They're the ones who are doing the work. <clears throat> the CEOs of these hospitals, however, are making far more money than the majority of the doctors who work there, who do the work that allows the institution to, to thrive. In Atlanta, where I practice, there are five medical facilities, and I'm not going to single out any of them, but I'm just going to run down the list of what the CEOs are compensated annually. One is compensated $5 million a year, one at $3.2 million a year, and then there are three that come in at about two and a half million a year that's a lot of money I'd like to run the hospital and get two and a half million dollars a year I think I could do a far better job this is not including the minions the executive vice presidents who come in under them who are making a million and a half dollars or a million dollars they have plowed money that they make and they're making money hand over fist make no mistake about it into growing the bureaucracy and lining their pockets corporations like home depot like coca cola they are for profit for for profit corporations they they distribute their profits to shareholders. That's what a for-profit, hosp- a for- I keep saying hospital, a for-profit corporation does. Hospitals, for the most part, are not-for-profit corporations. And so what that means is that they don't have shareholders. Instead, doesn't mean that they don't make money but they don't distribute that money outside of the system. So what do they do with that money? They increase their salaries. They pay themselves more money. What else do they do? Well, they diversify. What do you mean by diversify? Well, if you live in a major city in the United States and you are paying attention, large hospitals... Are getting bigger and they are becoming giant healthcare corporations they are buying everything they can everything in their path to get larger it's a feeding frenzy they're buying medical practices and employing doctors they are buying other hospitals swallowing them up and getting bigger they are they are buying ancillary businesses that have to do with health care. laboratories, imaging centers, physical therapy centers, wellness centers, urgent care centers. If you aren't blind and deaf, and, and you have an ability to just drive around your community, you see this everywhere. This is something you didn't see 20 years ago. But this is now healthcare out of control. They are They are fighting each other for market share and growing and getting bigger. But these large hospital systems have lost their way. Healthcare has ceased to be the priority for these hospital systems. What they've done, they use their enormous cash reserves to purchase real estate. That's what you're seeing around your cities. You're seeing these these giant hospitals putting up incredibly large medical office buildings with surgery centers in them lab facilities, what have you. But they own the real estate. Hospitals, large systems, are now giant real estate companies that dabble in healthcare. Healthcare is not their primary business. It's real estate. In addition to that, these giant healthcare systems are typically some of the largest employers in communities. So they become very powerful. They, be, they control the Chamber of Commerce in many cities. They're able to influence politicians, and hence legislation. They can continue to grow by being successful at averting competition in many states through Certificate of Need laws. Now you've heard me talk about Certificate of Need laws on this show if you're a regular listener. But these are the laws that are regulations state by state that put controls over the growth of healthcare facilities or healthcare services. In some states, you can't open up a hospital or a surgery center or get a piece of equipment in to your office without first going to the state and asking for permission. Part of that (coughs) part of that process has to do with the state going to the existing medical stakeholders in that small geographic area and asking them if they have any objections to you coming in doing what you want to do. And of course, they're going to contest it. They're going to say, no, we don't want it. The analogy I like to give in that case is if I wanted to open up a hamburger stand And I had to ask McDonald's and Burger King for permission. What do you think would happen? So certificate of need laws, which are in place to limit unlimited healthcare growth, are actually anti-competition laws that favor these big medical corporations. So... When hospital systems become so large and so powerful that they begin to believe that what they are is the reason for the good outcomes and not the doctors who provide care, then we've got a problem. If you watch TV and you listen to these commercials that the hospitals are Putting on these one minute spots about, about touting themselves. You would think that some of these hospitals are the greatest thing on earth because of the outcomes that they're telling you that happen in their hospital. Well, it's not the hospital that is responsible for these great outcomes. It's the doctors. Without the doctors, these hospitals are nothing more than hotels. They're just buildings. I'll give you a, a, an example. US News and World Reports ranks the top programs in the country in in adult care and pediatric care. And regular listeners know that I'm a pediatric urologist and I practice at Um, Children's Hospital in Atlanta and Children's Hospital in Atlanta has been recognized by US News and World Reports as having the number 10 pediatric urology practice number 10 pediatric urology program in the United States that's a feather in the cap for Children's Hospital of Atlanta, they can, they can boast that their urology program is number 10 in the United States. Well, I got news for you. We, in my practice, are number 10 in the United States. We are Georgia Urology, and we are the reason, not the hospital, that our program is number 10 because of the work that we do not because of the hospital. In many cases, it's in spite of the hospital. But we are the reason for this accolade, for these great outcomes, because of the doctors that I work with that have provided this care. And just to toot our horn a little bit, the other nine programs ahead of us are all hospital-based Programs where those doctors are employed by hospitals. We are the only group in that top 10 that's a privately held group, which makes us the number one private practice pediatric urology group in the United States. So it's not the hospital, it's not the building that provides the good outcomes. It's the doctors there who provide it. These institutions have lost sight of their mission. They believe that doctors, nurses, and everyone else in the system are replaceable. These these administrators, these middle managers, these pencil pushers are not concerned about quality. They're not concerned about excellence. If they happen, that's great. If they happen... They will take credit for it, but that's not their main objective. Their main objective is revenue. It's making money. Look back on how well large hospital systems handled their nurses during the pandemic. In Georgia urology, in my practice, we did not let one single person go. We ate it. The doctors in our group decided that we were not going to put people at risk, have them lose their health care insurance, have them not be able to collect a paycheck because there was something that was occurring outside of their control. We have loyal employees and we wanted to support our employees and show them (coughs) how much we valued them. So we didn't fire one single person during the pandemic. Not true for hospitals. Hospitals let go so many nurses when they had to shut down. They furloughed so many medical staff. A lot of these people left the field and did not come back. And that was shocking to the hospitals. They thought, oh, of course they'll come back. But why would somebody come back to an organization that showed so little regard for them? So I think it was very short-sighted on the part of hospitals to expect this. And when things opened up, they did not have enough people. They were short-staffed. They still are. It left the hospitals with a tremendous nursing shortage. Now, there's a new industry that has arisen, a brand new industry. It's the travelers. These are people who used to work for hospitals, but who now work for these agencies that are contracting with hospitals and getting, in many cases, three, four, five times the amount of money than it was costing them before the pandemic paying these nurses. Now, maybe they were underpaid before, I don't know. But right now, they're paying through the nose. They're paying so much money for these nurses, and they have to because they're over a barrel. They can't hire. Nobody wants these jobs at the salaries that they're paying. So they are forced to go to these contract companies and hire traveling nurses. At the same time, what this has done is it's created discord among the people who work at the hospital, the people who stuck it out and are getting paid a fraction of what these travelers are making. Now, I think this traveler industry is likely going to come back toward the middle. But in the meantime, more nurses are leaving and becoming travelers because they could make a lot of money. I know a nurse I spoke to who paid off her mortgage after six months of traveling. So you can't blame the nurses for doing this. It's supply and demand. But the, but the hospitals screwed up royally and they left themselves in a bind. But the hospitals also employ Doctors. 65% of the doctors around the country are employed by hospitals. And the hospitals treat the ones who are the high earners, the sports medicine doctors, the invasive cardiologists, the neurosurgeons, with kid gloves because they are the cash cows for these hospitals. But the peons, the ones who are barely eking it out, are not treated quite so well by the hospitals, and so they are forced to work harder, work longer, see more patients, and if complain, you are a disruptive doctor, and they'll show you the door. If you're an under uh, underperformer, they will show you the door so doctors can do nothing to enhance their bottom line but the hospitals will do everything that they can to get the ho- to get their profits maximized our producer david is chomping at the bit trying to get a question in coming in this morning i almost Wrecked my car when I heard this commercial and I couldn't believe it. Walmart Healthcare. Right, right. That's right. That's been in the works for quite some time actually. So this, this is what um, you know, the big box stores are are trying to do. It's what Mark Cuban is trying to do with his pharmaceutical company. You know, there there's these are these are you know, in response to what I'm getting at, which is that the hospitals are are not the place where you want to code to get your health care because they are not delivering the product that they once did. So. I, wanted, I just want to say, as we wrap up the show, we've got just a couple minutes left, and I have a, a whole lot more to say on this. Um, I think that this is going to create a new industry in, in the United States for anyone who is an aspiring entrepreneur. I hear friends all the time talk about their less than satisfactory experiences in hospitals, and I predict the emergence of what's called healthcare navigators. Someone who will help a patient with medical appointments, with insurance claims, and more importantly, be providing them a buddy in the hospital to oversee what's happening because of the patient experience and it becoming increasingly more unreliable and potentially dangerous. And this is why, friends, you do not want to get sick in the United States in 2023 hopefully a presidential candidate, will start addressing healthcare in this election season. So thanks for being with us and putting up with my voice and under the weather condition today. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks, hopefully fit and fiddle, as fit as a fiddle. Thanks again for being with us.